Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast of the Sunday morning sermons of the Bullard Church of Christ in Bullard, Texas. We hope you'll be blessed, challenged, and encouraged by today's lesson. We're certainly blessed to be here together this morning. We welcome each and every one of you, our members as well as our visitors, those of you who join us online, and we're so thankful to be together uh, in the way that we are. We are thankful to God for His blessings to see another day, to come together to worship Him and encourage one another. <clears throat> With chapter 5 in First Peter, which is where we're at this morning, Peter brings this letter to a close, and he has a few words for elders in the church. He has a few things to say to younger members, younger Christians, and he has some things to say to the whole church, to all Christians, that we'll see apply to us as well. <clears throat> but there's one word that I think we could say uh, gets at the essence of what Peter is talking about in chapter 5. And that word is humility. We'll see that Peter says several things about humility, things that relate to humility. And I think we'll see that it's important in everything that he says in chapter 5. Humility is an essential virtue for the Christian. And unfortunately, we just don't have enough uh, leaders and examples, role models uh, influencers, athletes, celebrities, politicians, uh, leaders at every level who exemplify humility or that of being a humble servant. It seems that everybody is just out for themselves, their own status, their own likes, their own uh, you know, uh, position, and everybody's out in it for themselves. So many people are, and yet uh, young people today and people of every age need uh, people who they can look to who are humble servants. They represent uh, humility the way that we read about in Scripture. Uh, a great way to define humility, you've uh, probably heard this, is that it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself what? Less, right? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, I'm a nobody, I'm no good, I'm stinking and rotten. But it's to think of yourself less. In other words, I'm not the one that's most important. I'm not center stage. I'm not the one that everybody ought to be looking to and looking at. I spend my time thinking more of others than I do myself. And Peter calls Christians to live as humble servants of Christ. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, if you would, and let's look at the first four verses. I'll read those. Uh, Peter says some things to elders. He writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We don't know where Peter served as an elder. 
We don't have uh, other writings about it. We don't know if it was in Jerusalem where the church began. We don't know if it was in Rome. Was it some, in some other city? We don't know how long he served as an elder. But he says himself that he served as an elder somewhere and he, and he wasn't up above anyone else. He wasn't any more important. Of course, he was an apostle. He's opened his letter, 1 Peter, saying that he was an apostle. But right now he's talking to elders and he, he relates to them. He says, look, I'm an elder too and, and you're elders. And he's writing to the Christians who are dispersed and spread out throughout what is modern-day Turkey, and they were spread all over the place. And so he writes to the Christians in all of the, that, that large area where they would have located and had, had congregations all over the area. And, and in those congregations, the local congregations, they would have had elders. And so he writes to those congregations and he says to the elders, Elders, I want to talk to you first. I have some things I want to say to you. And I'm an elder too. You know, elders, we don't always think about this. Elders need encouragement too. Elders need other elders or former elders they can talk to who will encourage them because of the the responsibility they carry. I can only imagine how easy it could be to be discouraged as an elder to be uh, let down, disappointed as an elder, sometimes beat up and beat down because they carry the burden of a lot of people. And, 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 and Paul, uh, Peter has some wonderful things to say to encourage elders, to help lift them up, to help say, here's what it's about. Don't forget, this is what it means to be an elder. And so Peter writes, first of all, shepherd the flock of God. He reminds them what you're supposed to be doing if you're an elder. He says to these elders, here's what you do. I know there's a lot of things to take care of. There's worries, there's this, there's that. You've got a to-do list that'll never totally get done. But here's what I want you to focus on most importantly. Shepherd the flock of God. And he said, those among you. In other words, those in your congregation, that's who you're accountable to. You can't shepherd a flock somewhere else. You shepherd those who God brings your way in your congregation. You look after them. They all in their time knew very well what a shepherd was and what a shepherd did. It was, it was everyday life for them. And it's less common uh, for us. It's a little more foreign for us uh, nowadays than it was for them. But, but we still understand what shepherds do. Shepherds had their flock of sheep. They, they guided them. They protected them. They fed them. They cared for them. A shepherd knew every one of his sheep that he had. He knew if one was sick. He knew if one was lost. Jesus told a parable about that. He knew everything he needed to know about his sheep. And guess what? As Jesus talked about, the sheep knew the shepherd's voice. You could have uh, uh, several shepherds and they might, they might call out to their sheep and, and they know the voice of their shepherd and they will follow him. A shepherd knows his sheep. Many years ago, Lynn Anderson wrote a book called They Smell Like Sheep. And the point he was making in the book, he was writing about elders, and he says, like a shepherd would smell like his sheep because he's out there with them 
living with them, an elder should smell like his sheep. Meaning, because he lives among them. He's fellowshipping with them. He's actively engaged in their lives. He knows what's going on in the lives of the flock that God has given him. He knows, what, uh, he knows his people, and they know him. And there's a commonality. They smell like sheep, as they say. A shepherd is a blessing to his sheep. Because a shepherd out in the field, as they're traveling, a shepherd is a blessing to his sheep because he's looking out for them. He's taking care of them. And he's going to protect them from the wolves. He's going to protect them from someone trying to steal them. He's going to care for them. Make sure they're fed. Make sure they're well taken care of. Make sure they get to where they need to go and have the food and the water that they need. And in the same way, a shepherd is a blessing to a church. When a shepherd strives to live, who, to be the kind of elder God would have them to be, they're nothing but a blessing to that congregation. And that's what Peter wants to say to elders. He reminds elders uh, how to serve as shepherds. He says, here's what you do. You watch over them, not because you have to, not because uh, you're, you're forced to, but because you're willing to. See, a good shepherd is willing to look after his sheep. He doesn't have to be prodded and pried and manipulated and guilt-tripped and forced into it. He, he's willing to look after his sheep. And, and, and another thing Peter says is they don't seek their own gain they serve eagerly. See, it was more common in those days, less common now, but it's, 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 it's authorized in Scripture for an elder to receive uh, financial support from the church and, and to some degree, whatever was determined. And, and so uh, Peter's saying, like, you don't be an elder so that you can get something, so that you can get a, a little side gig, so that you can get some supplemental income, or so you can get some political notoriety, or that so you can, when it's time to run for office again, uh, you can be recognized, you can have some status, whatever the gain might be. Peter says, that's not why you do this. You do this eagerly because you love the sheep. Another thing he says is, they don't try to dominate like a master over his servants. That's not what a good shepherd does. You know, Jesus never forces us to do anything. You realize that? Every bit of our Christian life is willing service. Jesus never forces us to do anything. Now, He has commandments, He has expectations on it, but He'll never make us do it. We don't have to do anything, He says. We do it willingly. He's the good shepherd, and we choose to follow Him. And that's the same way because He's that good shepherd, that example for elders in the local congregation, for those shepherds. And they serve in a way that makes the flock willingly follow them and their example. So that's how you do it. You don't dominate. You be an example for others to follow. And Peter reminds elders of their reward. He says that when the chief shepherd, talking about Jesus, when the chief shepherd comes, when Jesus returns, he will reward you with an unfading crown of glory. That's a beautiful sight. And an elder who serves faithfully is certainly deserving of that. Peter came up with this <clears throat> description of Jesus. 
This description of chief shepherd is nowhere else in Scripture. It's a, it's a, it's a new word that God directed him to write here. And it's similar to how the Hebrew author described Jesus as the great shepherd of sheep in Hebrews 13.20. And it shows this special connection that elders in the church have with Jesus because Jesus is that chief shepherd. He's that great shepherd of sheep and He's the good shepherd that we follow. And elders, shepherds in Jesus' church, His flock... They follow His example, His teachings, and they, 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 they shepherd the flock that He gives them. And it's a special, unique connection that elders have with their Savior. Now in verse 5, Peter turns his attention to younger Christians. He says one thing real quick to younger Christians, and that could be anyone. The word elder also means older. And so elders are supposed to be older by nature for different reasons, for various reasons. And so younger could be, is a wide range of people. And so he says to younger Christians, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Submit yourselves to the elders. You know, sometimes we need reminders. We need reminders to say, hey, Listen to the people you're supposed to listen to. Follow instructions. Uh, listen, follow their example. If, if, if they are directing us in a certain way, if they ask us to do something, if they encourage us to do a thing, do what they say. And, and later in Hebrews 13, 17, the he, Hebrew author says it in this way. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. They're watching over your souls, and they'll stand before God and answer for that. Uh, They're watching over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Don't make your elders groan, (laughs) moan and groan. Now, the author isn't saying don't, don't go to them with some problems you have. Definitely go to them. When you need to talk to them, go to them as your shepherd for guidance, for uh, direction, for encouragement. But, but don't be one of those sheep that can never fall in line. Always got to be butting heads and getting out of line, to, you know, tearing up the fence and all kinds of stuff. Eating everything inside, bothering the other sheep. You know, the author's saying, look, let you do your part so that their work can be one of joy. Because remember... They're held accountable by God to watch over your soul and be that kind of sheep. Uh, Now, after that quick word to younger Christians, uh, Peter turns in the same verse, he turns his attention to all Christians. And listen to what he says. Clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves, all of you, on our next slide, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you see that? Clothe yourselves, all of you. In other words, I'm talking to elders, I'm talking to younger, I'm talking to older, I'm talking to all you Christians, all y'all as we would say. And he's saying, here's what I want you to do, clothe yourselves with humility. We've already seen the word humility a few times, and right here he uses this word, clothe yourself. In Greek it's one word, clothe yourself, And again, it's not used anywhere else in Scripture. This is the only time this particular word is used 
to talk about clothing yourself. Peter is saying that the Christian is to tie themselves up in humility. Imagine what that might look like. And it probably wouldn't take you long to think about the time when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples in John chapter 13. Do you remember that setting? Do you remember when they were eating, after they were eating, Jesus took off his outer garment, like took off his his outer cloak. He took a towel and he, the Bible says, he tied it around himself. Listen to this, John 13 verses 4 and 5. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. That's the image Peter is giving us when he tells us to clothe ourselves with humility. He's giving us the image of Jesus, the chief shepherd, Jesus our Savior, who modeled that, who taught that, and showed us how to do that. And the, Peter, the word Peter used here, clothe yourselves, means something that you tie around yourself just like Jesus did. And the task of washing dirty, stanky feet, been walking outside in the heat, and, and that was a task that a servant, a slave, would have done. That's what they were supposed to do. And yet Jesus, who Paul wrote about in Philippians 2, who did this, He made Himself a servant. And He's the one. He didn't go get the person who was hired to do that. He didn't go get the person who would have normally been standing in the corner ready to wait on you hand and foot. He got the towel Himself and He went around to each of His disciples and He washed their dirty, stanky feet. And that's what elders do. They come around to your life and they get involved in your life. And all of us have some dirty, stinky feet from time to time. And here comes your shepherd ready to listen, to care, to be there right with you and help you wash things up in your life just like Jesus did. And, and, and Peter's saying that's what all of us are supposed to do. We're supposed to clothe ourselves with that kind of humility. The kind of humility that says, you know what? I don't really want to look at your toenails, but I will get down in your life and spend some time with you and help you out. I'm, I'm humble enough. I'm thinking less, uh, uh, thinking of myself less so that I can give attention and service to you, so that I can be there for one another. We talked about that in class this morning, so that I can serve you. It takes humility to wash somebody's spiritual foot. It takes humility to help somebody when their life is dirty and stinky. It takes humility to say, that's, I, I wouldn't do it that way. I don't like that. That's not, that, that wouldn't be my preference. But that's what we're going to do. And that's what this person wants. This isn't about me. This is about what's best for the church. See, do you remember what Jesus said when he finished washing everybody's dirty feet? Look at verse 12 of John 13. 
We're told that Jesus asked his disciples a question. He sat back down at the table and he said, do you understand what I've done to you? Do we understand what Jesus has done for us? Do we understand what, what church members, what elders have done for us when they have practiced humility towards us, when they have endured us, when they have served us and ministered to us? Jesus says, do you understand what I've done to you? Did they get the message? Aren't there times when we just don't get the message that Jesus has served us, members of the church have served us, elders have served us time and time and time again, and we don't get the message what Jesus is doing in our life. He's trying to reach us, and you wonder if they ever will. And His disciples, they, they had seen all the miracles He had done, and this is he's, he's very soon going to be arrested and crucified. They had heard everything He taught, And he asked him, do you understand what I just did? In verses 14 through 15, we read what Jesus wanted his 12 disciples to understand. And it's what he wants us to understand today. Look at verse 14 of John 13. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. We're to follow Jesus' example and tie humility around us and be ready to serve, to be humble servants like He was. Matthew 20, 27-28, Jesus told His disciples, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And here's to the extent to which He came to serve. To even give His life as a ransom for many. That's the extent Jesus came to serve. And we said, well, how, how, tell us more about this. In what way did Jesus come to serve and, and give His life as a ransom? Philippians chapter 2, I referenced a moment ago. Look at verse number 8. Paul writes, "...and being found in human form, He humbled Himself." Humility, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And then Paul puts a comma there as if that isn't enough. Even death on a cross. And all of His readers of that letter knew exactly what that meant when He said even death on a cross. Because there wasn't nothing worse than that. And that's the extent to which Jesus came to serve in order to save. And it came, with, it came from His humility. What an example we have in Jesus to follow. Each and every one of us, as Peter says. Now look at verses 6 through 11. Next, Peter tells us, humble yourselves. Again, the theme of humility here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. You see, we humble ourselves and we, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God because when we do that, we're surrendering to Him. We're saying, I need you to scoop me up in your hand, God. I need you to cover me and protect me. I need you to just pick me up and, and look after me. 
And I'm not too proud. I'm not so proud that, that I can't just surrender myself to you. And maybe that's our problem sometimes. We can't just relax and entrust ourselves to Him, to His care. And, and that's why Peter says, casting all your anxiety on Him. is We don't want to let go of our anxiety. Sometimes it's because we think if we have anxiety, that means that's, that's something for us to do. And that makes me important and busy. And, and, and that, that, that means I can, because I have to have something to control. That, that might not be your challenge with anxiety, but that's one of the things we can do with anxiety. And Peter says, cast it off and you fall into the hand of God and you trust His care. However, this might work out. Trust Him to take care of you. And then we see, look at verse number 8 and 9. Peter tells us how to do this. He tells us what to do next. Verses 8 and 9, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And Peter says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. See, Christians, we got to be clear thinking, sober minded, paying attention, watching for the devil's attacks. But so often we go through life like we're not even paying attention. We, we, we know how the devil gets at us. We know how he works on us. And we walk through life like we don't have a clue. And time after time again, he continues to come at us and win battle after battle. And Peter says, stop it. Be sober-minded. Quit walking through life like you're drunk. Pay attention and be aware of what's going on. Be engaged and alert to the schemes of the devil. Now notice Peter says, resist him. Did Peter say, hey, if it's not too hard, try sometimes to resist the devil? No, he didn't say that. He said, resist him. Did he say, try to resist him? It's not going to work, but... We want you to at least try. E for effort. Is that what Peter said? That's not what he said. He said, resist him. And what does that tell us? If Peter, an apostle, inspired and guided by God himself uh, to record these words, meaning God wanted these words written for us. If, if, if Peter said, resist him, what does that tell us? That tells us we can. Resist the devil. I don't have to give in to him. And that ought to give me as a Christian a sense of empowerment to know that I don't have to be hopeless and helpless and, oh no, here comes the devil again. Uh, you know, you stick your hands up. And he's got, I mean, he robs you every time. You don't have to be robbed by him every time. Peter says, resist him. You don't have to give in to him. Resist him. But then he tells us how. He says, resist him firm in your faith. See, the reason I might not be able to resist him too well is because I'm not too firm in my faith. And Paul also wrote, uh, uh, if you think you're, you stand firm, take heed lest you fall. 
So we're all always uh, susceptible to these uh, temptations of Satan. But the stronger I can get my faith, the stronger I can get in my faith in God, the closer I can get to Jesus, and the more uh, humility I can have in surrendering myself to Him and, and casting my cares on Him and, 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 and submit, surrendering myself to His mighty hand, then the stronger I get and, and more able I am to resist the temptations of the devil. So if I'm having trouble resisting Him in some area of my life, I need to ask, well, am I kind of weak in my faith in that area of my life? Where is it I need to work out? You know, if you go to Anytime Fitness and you only do the bench press and the butterflies and the dumbbells and all that, well, you're not getting all your muscles, are you? You're going to get big up here like the cartoons and real skinny little legs, right? Or if I only work out my legs and then I don't do anything with my upper body, then my legs are going to get all built up and muscular and they won't match my body. And sometimes we do that in our faith, right? We need to work out our whole person and our whole person strong in our faith so that we can resist the devil. And then he reminds us, you're not alone. You're not the only one dealing with that temptation. Your brothers and sisters throughout the brotherhood are struggling and have struggled with those same things. But sometimes Satan makes us feel like we're all alone in what we're dealing with. Peter reminds us, no, you're not. No, you're not. Everyone else is going through stuff too. And then finally, look at the wonderful blessing of, and hope that we have in Christ in verse 10. Af and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That little while He's talking about, He says after a little while, He's talking our, about our time here on earth before Jesus returns. And the way God sees time is that all of our earthly time is just a little while, just a vapor. Peter asked later, what is your life? It is but a mist. After that little while, see, in other words, realize that this is going to pass. This is temporary. But Jesus will return. You hold on to your faith. You stand firm in your faith. And you be humble servants of His. And when He comes back here in a little bit, He's going to take us home to heaven. We'll know His eternal glory. He will restore us, confirm us, strengthen us, and establish us. We'll live with Him forever in heaven. And it will be beyond what we can comprehend. And it will be totally worth it. I want to ask you a question this morning. I don't want to look around too closely because my question is, are you properly clothed this morning? Are you properly clothed this morning? And I mean that in two different ways. Are you properly clothed, if you're a Christian, with humility that Peter tells us to have? Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Have you been living with humility in your life and in your service to God? There's another way, a different word used for being clothed, and Paul uses that in Galatians 3.27. And he says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on or have clothed yourselves with Christ. That's the other 
question, the other part of the question, have you clothed yourself with Christ? That means to put him on. And Paul says, when you are immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you come up out of the water and you have put on Christ. And then you begin your life of putting on his character like humility. You clothe yourself with his character. So have you come this morning properly clothed? And if not, how can we help you this morning? Maybe you need prayers for something going on in your life. Prayers to help you get stronger in your faith. To live more faithfully to God. Maybe you're ready to be clothed with Christ in baptism. Or you're ready to start studying about that. You know you need to do something. You need to make a movement towards Jesus. And you're ready to start that this morning. We invite you to come forward and let us help you as we stand and sing. We thank you again for listening today. If we can answer any questions for you or serve you in some way, please reach out to us. You can find our contact information and more on our website at bullardchurchofchrist.com. If this lesson has helped you, please rate our podcast and share it so more people can hear the Word of God. And please, come visit as soon as you can. We meet on Sundays for class at 9 a.m., worship at 10 a.m., evening worship at 5, and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. God bless you.